In the year 1915, uh, there was a 32-year-old clerk working for the Workmen's Accident Insurance Institute for the Kingdom of Bohemia. Uh, he was also moonlighting as a writer. And he stopped working on a book in this year that was to become one of the more famous books of the 20th century. The novel's name in German is Der Prozess, or The Process. Uh, but most of us, uh, if we've heard of it, are more familiar with the English title, The Trial. And probably even more of us are familiar with the name of that insurance clerk, Franz Kafka. Uh, or at least we've heard the adjective Kafkaesque to refer to something that's bizarre or postmodern in some way. In this novel, or short novel, The Trial, the main character is a young banker, an ambitious young man, who goes by the name of Joseph K. Uh, and at the beginning of the novel, he's arrested, but for no apparent reason. And he is then given incompetent legal representation by the amusing but hapless lawyer, Hult. And eventually, Joseph is sentenced to death after a year of attempting to defend himself against charges that are never fully explained. I mentioned the German title and its cognate in English because the frustrating inevitability of Joseph's indictment and condemnation is, frighteningly, is frightening precisely because it is so impersonal and bureaucratic machine-like. Kafka was familiar with the foibles and hazards of bureaucracy, and in many of his books, he's often thought to have chillingly anticipated the machinery of the repressive states that liquidated so many human beings in the 20th century. It's important to recognize that many of us have experiences of being caught up politically and otherwise in processes and forces that are not only beyond our control, but even beyond our rational comprehension. I'd say much of the swell of support that brought President Trump to the White House is a sign, it's a sign of frustration with just this kind of faraway, nebulous, malign governance that seems to select some types of people randomly for preferment and others for ridicule. I suspect that what many voters wanted, I think one of the things that bothers the people who don't like President Trump is that he's not very presidential in the usual sense, but I suspect that many of those who voted for him were not seeking so much a president in the sense of someone who acts presidentially, who is another slick operator of the bureaucratic machine. Rather, what people were seeking was something more like an advocate someone who has the resources of knowledge, personality, power, and wealth to defend the victims of government machinery. I'll leave to one side whether the particular choice was a good one. As our Lord is preparing for his passion and Passover to the Father in today's gospel, he promises to send the disciples another advocate. Up to this point, he has been their advocate. Uh, but in a few moments, we will note that the Apostle John, or I, I'll come back to this, but the Apostle John elsewhere notes that Jesus still is our advocate before the Father. But at this moment in the story, as he passes over to his glorified state, to the glory that he had with the Father in the beginning, he's making provision for the defense of his friends. 
They are to receive a very powerful advocate, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as advocate, as a kind of legal defense, should be understood in the context of a certain development in Jewish thought, and that is the development of the opposing character, that of Satan. So the Hebrew word Satan has the sense of a prosecuting attorney, an accuser, a one who tries to find fault and convict. So how are we implicated in all of this? In what sense do we have an accuser and are we in need of an advocate? Uh, to illustrate this, I'd like to go back a little ways. In fact, I'd like to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. When God ask, asks Adam why he ate the fruit, he accuses Eve. When Eve is asked, she accuses the serpent. Neither Adam nor Eve defend the other or take the fall for the other, make a sacrifice of themselves to save the other one. They stand opposed to one another. They don't take each other's sides against the serpent. And so into their minds has crept from the trickery of the serpent a sense in which they must fend for themselves, defend themselves, by finding someone else to blame, taking someone else down. The decision to go against God's commandment has ushered in a fatal splintering of the human race and the human person. No longer is there easy friendship with one another and with God. Instead, there's mutual recrimination. The serpent uh, returns in the last book of the Bible, as it happens, where we read, The accuser of our brethren has been cast down, the deceiver of the whole world, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. He was defeated by the blood of the Lamb, the same blood that washes away our sins and reconciles us to God. The blood of the Lamb provides atonement. This is a really beautiful word uh, that literally means what it sounds like. At one meant. We're not splintered away from one another or from God anymore. We're brought back into integral relationship with each other. What had been fragmented and destroyed has been reintegrated and given life. And having received this life, we are also given the power and the opportunity to keep God's commandments, not to transgress against them any longer. And as we heard again in the gospel, if we keep God's commandments, our Lord will send us that advocate who will protect us from the death-dealing suggestions of the serpent, the devil. And I'd like to end with a short explanation of these suggestions, uh, the suggestion that was made to Eve and the suggestions that we get in our own thoughts. The old monastic tradition refers to these types of thoughts uh, with a technical word, logismoi, uh, which is hard to translate, but it means something like suggestive, tempting thoughts, thoughts that incite us to conceive actions against God and against one another. And I'd like to relate this to the fearful feeling that I think many of us have experienced of being subjected to powers beyond our control, uh, whether it's being condemned by a faceless bureaucracy or just events in our lives, a terminal illness, a death of a friend, something that happens that's beyond our ability to control and leaves us feeling defenseless. We are all characters in a drama that involves the whole mysterious plan of God, of all things visible and invisible. And so we are, uh, whether we pay attention to this or not, 
daily the objects of attention for a vast spiritual world made up of angels and demons and the souls of the saints. And if we think about this, it is a bit overwhelming. It's not something we can uh, control or, or have much immediate knowledge of right away. So these forces beyond our comprehension, uh, those hostile ones are manipulating or t- attempting to manipulate the way we perceive the world, to see the world uh, with a sense of hostility and defensiveness, with a sense of accusation, right? But the death and resurrection of Christ and the life of the Holy Spirit unmask these spiritual powers. They help us to understand the nature of these temptations so that we can say no, so that we can avoid tripping, stumbling, falling into sin again. Or if we do sin, learning to turn back to God for forgiveness. So we can learn to identify these thoughts, uh, not so much by accusing others or even ourselves, uh, but rather by seeing the false testimony that's given in our own thoughts when we want to accuse others in some way, or ourselves. So when we find ourselves tempted by thoughts of rancor or of anger, self-righteousness, we see this uh, so much in our political discussion, there's just constant rancor. There's no, there's no attempt to be at peace. We feel like we have to make our point and be right. But this is a temptation, I think, in these circumstances many of the times. Uh, but most especially in that temptation to accuse uh, ourselves or others of not being good enough in some way, we can have recourse to a different testimony, the testimony that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and will raise our mortal bodies to life also by the power of our Defender, the Holy Spirit. And so it is possible for us to keep the commandments because we know that even if this brings us to bodily harm, that doesn't matter. God will vindicate us if we are faithful. The best thing we can do for the world is to give our own testimony to the risen Christ by a spotless and joyful life. So our Lord returns to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit to nourish us in the Eucharist, to send us forth as light in a world of darkness. And we need not do this with fear, but with faith and confidence. Let us pray that the Lord really will send the Holy Spirit into our hearts to defend us from these encroaching temptations.